in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Through him all things were made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Good morning. I just want to start off this morning in prayer. So let's just bow our heads and just... um, enter into worship with God. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity that we do have to open your scripture so freely this morning and to speak from the word of God where there's countries where your word is forbidden. And yet, God, we have the freedom to stand here this morning to speak about you, and we thank you for that freedom. Now, Father, we just ask that as we take your word that you will plant it firmly in our heart. And God, that um, you will use me this morning to speak your word. Hide me behind your cross. And I pray, Father, that you will be glorified this morning and you will be lifted up and you will challenge us with what your word speaks. In thy precious and holy name, amen. So I just have a question for you. Just with just raising your hands, you don't have to, but... How many of you have known Jesus for over 60 years as your Savior? Just raise your hands. Over 60 years, do we have? Wow. What about 50? Yeah, there's some raising. What about 40 years? That's pretty cool. 30? Wow. Okay, 20. 20? That's pretty good. 10? Awesome. That's amazing. How about five years? Oh, that's really good. And you know, we have some new Christians here this morning as well. It shows the journey that we've been on. Our church is full of people who have known Jesus for a very long time and people who have just come to know the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in children's ministry, I have the absolute pleasure of being able to watch little ones. You know, I, um, as a mom, I never really focused on my kids that much. I think I was too busy mothering them to really sit there and go, wow, they're incredible. Um, and so I take the time now, and it's, it's really hard for me to say, but I'm getting older. And um, my brain tells me I can still do cartwheels, and uh, I tried to show that to my kids when they were little, and that failed miserably. But, you know... Um, As you watch kids, this week I had the absolute pleasure of watching little Henry. Just for 10 minutes, that's Pierre and Belindy's little boy. And just for 10 minutes, they were leading in worship in a conference with the pastors, and I just sat on the floor and I played with him. And this little boy had so much joy in him. He was just leaping everywhere. Everything was new and everything was fresh. So even the building of the little train track, he took such joy in putting those little pieces together. And then he would jump up and he'd run around and he'd peer underneath the table to me and laugh. And now I don't know why he laughed, but 
we'll just leave it there. But he would laugh and, and he had this, this joy just bursting forth from him. And I just found that really, really great to watch this little boy experience life for the first time. And as we move into this Easter season, some of you here this morning have heard this story over 60 times. You have known Jesus for over 60 years. And others a bit fewer and a bit fewer and a bit fewer. But sometimes, sometimes we lose the actual meaning of the story. You see, the story moves from the heart and it moves into the head. So we know it and we experience it, but do we have the joy that comes from it? We're continuing our series this morning on Jesus is. Jesus is. And we will be reading this morning from John chapter 1, 29 to 34. And um, as we read through this, I want to just set the scene for you. I want to set the scene of John the Baptist. So we're talking here a bit about John the Baptist. And he is, this isn't the John in the Bible that is one of Jesus' disciples. This is Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. We first learn about John back in um, Luke where, where he's talking at the Scripture tells us when Mary got pregnant, um, so did Elizabeth six months prior to. And Elizabeth was the wife of a priest by the name of Zacharias. Now, they had been praying for a long time that God would give them a child, and she had been barren. And here he is, a priest, a man of faith who walks into the temple, and he is met by an angel. And the angel says, you, your wife will become pregnant. And being the man of faith, he goes, that's fantastic. But he didn't do that. Zacharias actually doubted. And God was upset with him and sealed his mouth. And, and Zacharias couldn't speak until the day that John was born. And in the Jewish custom, they have a naming ceremony. And within the custom, it is, it is you name your child after someone in your family. But God wanted the baby's name to be John. And so when the name of the child was asked, Zacharias wrote, his name will be John. And immediately he was, be, he was able to speak. Then the next time we hear about John the Baptist is when, when he goes into the wilderness and he's calling for repentance and asking for forgiveness of sins. And this is where he directly fulfills the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 40. In Isaiah chapter 40, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the paths for him. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall be straight and the rough way smooth and all the people will see God's salvation. The Bible goes on to describe John as a man wearing camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey, and that immediately puts a picture into our mind about John. We also know that John did not please the crowds. He was no crowd pleaser whatsoever. 
In Matthew, he's, he's called out the hypocrisies of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He calls them brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? You see, when John spoke, people listened. Maybe some people listened out of curiosity, but others could hear God in his voice. In Matthew 3, verse 11, it goes on to say, But after me, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John recognized his humanity and he told people that he was not the one. And he made sure people were listening to that. He was paving the way with great anticipation for the one who would come after him. What I want you to listen to is the passion in John's voice. He is excited. He is preparing the people for this massive event, an event that the Israelites had been waiting for since the time Adam and Eve sinned. This Messiah, the promised one, he's coming. So I cannot see John sitting there going, yay, Jesus is coming. Woohoo! I can see John being passionate behind it, excited, full of joy. Now I'd like you to turn your Bibles or look up into the screen as we look at John 1, 29 to 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God. Or did he say, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Now that portion of scripture could be a bit confusing because before I said to you that John was his cousin, Jesus' cousin, but the reality is, is John actually lived about 10 hours away. And they didn't have Australia Post back then. And the actuality of them getting together was probably pretty slim. They would have known of each other. But the other thing to keep in mind is that Jesus did not start his ministry until this point. And God did not make aware who the Messiah was until this point. In verse 32, it goes on to say, Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John goes, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. You see, when John the Baptist in John 1.29 says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, you can make sure 
that everyone in that crowd that day stopped and looked. Why? Because in the Old Testament, the Lamb of God made a a, a kind of a, a parallel to something that they knew. Because everyone in that crowd that day would have known for centuries that the Jewish people would have sacrificed lambs in the temple in repentance for their sins. These blood offerings acted as a temporary covering for the sin. Leviticus 4.35 says, through this process, so through sacrifice, the priest was able to purify the people of their sin, making them right with the Lord that they were forgiven. Hebrews 9.22 puts it this way. He says, the law requires nearly everything to be cleansed with blood. And without that shedding of the blood, there was no forgiveness. So when John said, behold, the Lamb of God, the reference to this to the people of Israel was immediately to sacrifice. Immediately to sacrifice. So that is why when he called the Lamb of God, that it held such an important place within the Israeli um, culture. It had, they were thinking about the lamb, which represented white fleece, purity, and cleanliness. Jesus was pure. He was without blemish. He was without sin. And just as the lamb was sacrificed in the Old Testament for temporary relief of sin, Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice for sin of the past, for sin of the present, and for sin of the future. I just really love how Romans 8, 9 puts it. It says, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Just think about it. The way that you and I sin today How many lambs would we have to sacrifice? And God recognized that the law of Moses was not going to be suffice. That the only thing that could save you and I was the fact that Jesus would die for us. So Romans 8, 9 goes on. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. I want you to think about that as well. In a body that we sinners have. Jesus experienced everything you and I. He stubbed his toe, it would hurt. He would get bruises. He he had to sleep, he had to rest, he had to eat. He had to go to the toilet just like you and I. He had our bodies. God, the creator, came down in human form. Is that not humbling to think that God who created us came down and became one of us? And in that body, continues, and in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Can you begin to see why Jesus was called the Lamb of God? 
perfect, free of sin. He was pure. And just like the lambs were sacrificed for sin, so Christ was sacrificed for us. Some of you this morning have heard this story many times, and what I am saying to you is nothing new. You've heard this. But it's in here, and it's not in here. There's a difference. You see, the story of John doesn't stop here. It continues. There are a few further recordings of where John the Baptist's disciples had encounters with Jesus. Encounters where the disciples were, were concerned because they saw all the people that were once following John the Baptist now following Jesus. Yet John's heart was so full of recognition of who Jesus was that he didn't care. The Bible says that his heart was full of joy overseeing the ministry of Christ. And he, the famous words of his, his in John 3 verse 30 says, Therefore, this joy of mine must, is now complete. I must decrease so he may increase. However, after these experiences of joys we find in Matthew 11, John actually doubts. We find in Matthew 11 that he is in prison. A few verses on, he finds himself in prison. And he sends, he sends his disciples to Jesus and he says, has them ask, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the Messiah? Because if not, we need to look for someone else. Are you really the Messiah? So can I ask a question here this morning? When we just a few verses before saw that his joy was complete, then why a few verses later, when he was in prison, did he question John Piper describes joy this way. He says, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. And as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the world, um, in the world, and it copied itself, see the beauty of Christ in the world. So you see, regardless of your circumstances or my circumstances, life is life. We get up in the morning, we head into our day, we get busy, we come home, and we press repeat. Sometimes life falls into a routine and we get busy. And I bet you any money if I went, because I do it all the time, and I go up and, how was your week? Oh, it's been a busy week. It's been a busy week. Oh, I haven't stopped this week. And the week creeps in, and life takes over. So let me ask you something. How do you keep the joy of Jesus fresh in your heart when life takes over? Corey Ten Boom. Many of us have heard about Corey Ten Boom. She's one of these amazing ladies that I just... 
absolutely love to read about. A woman of tremendous faith. Corey and her family would hide Jews back in World War II. They built a little room in their home, and they hid Jews. For two years, they hid Jews. And then one day, someone they trusted, one of their fellow Dutchmen, came and said that he needed help. And truthful to the family, they did not turn him away. And they said, come back later and we will help you. And when he returned, he brought the Nazi guards with him. The Nazis then went in and arrested and took them into prison. Her father at that time was 84. He only survived 10 days and he passed away. The Jews that they hid, they actually were found after they were taken to prison. They were in this little room and they had been standing for 47 hours before they were rescued. She and her sister were taken to prison and they would hear horrific things. One of her recordings was, from there all day long and often into the night came the sounds of hell itself. They were not the sounds of anger or of any human emotion, but of the cruelty altogether detached, blows landing in regular rhythm, screams keeping pace. In her book, Corey talks about witnessing 700 men executed by Nazi soldiers. Truly, a life within a concentration camp was beyond your understanding and my understanding. But there was this one scene where Corey is overwhelmed by her imprisonment. She is absolutely burdened by it, and she is dreaming of a time outside of this camp. And she turns to her sister, Betsy, and she wails, How long will it take? Betsy replies and she said, perhaps a long time, perhaps many years, but what better way could there be to spend our lives? What? What better way could there be to spend our lives? Betsy turned and stared at her. She said, whatever are you talking about? And Betsy replies back, these young men, That girl back there in the bunkers, Corey, if people can be taught to hate, they can be taught to love. We must find the way, you and I, no matter how long it takes. She went on, almost forgetting in her excitement to keep her voice to a whisper, while I slowly took in the fact that she was talking about our guards. I saw a gray uniform and a visored hat. Betsy saw a wounded human being. And I wondered not for the first time what sort of person she was, the sister of mine, what kind of road she followed while I trudged beside her on the all too solid earth. All through the time in the concentration camps, Betsy shines to Corey like a lighthouse of Jesus' love. Corey has rage against her oppressors, but Betsy is compelled by love and forgiveness. Through the love of Jesus, 
the bunker in which they stayed was transformed from a place of selfishness where women would fight each other for scraps to a place where prisoners developed an overwhelming love for one another. And as Betsy's body became weaker, and just before she died at the age of 59 in prison, she said, we must tell people what we have learned here. We must tell them that there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper. They will listen to us, Corey, because we have been here. And then Corey writes, the truth is, there are times in our lives we all need to be Betsy. This is the only possible when we make the decision that we ourselves need a Betsy. Who do you need to encourage today? strength of your heavenly father. I want to take us quickly back to the story of John the Baptist. John was in prison. Unlike Betsy, where she found joy even in the depth of her despair, John began to question and have doubts of who this Jesus was. He was the one that proclaimed him as the Messiah and saw the Holy Spirit come upon him. And yet he was the one who doubted. But do you know what's so amazing about this story? Is that when John's disciples went to Jesus and said, Who are you? We want to know. Do we need to look for someone else? Jesus did not condemn them. He did not say to John, What on earth? What he did instead, he turned to John and he said to John, he started saying, all the miracles, you go back and tell John all the miracles that are being performed. And then he started to lift John up as being that chosen prophet. This morning, we are all in different circumstances in our lives, but some of us, We have been Christians for a long time, and we've lost that joy in here. It's just become head knowledge. Betsy was able to maintain the joy because she had a relationship, a sincere, deep relationship with Jesus. They smuggled a Bible, and they read the Bible in prison. That became their life. John 15, 5 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Keep my commandments, and you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So how can you know this joy this morning? How can you refresh that joy? How can the Easter story become new to you? Start spending time with him. Pick up this Bible and read this Bible. 40 different scribes, but one author. It was written over 1,500 years, this book. And this book is alive today as it was 1,500 years ago. This book speaks to us today. 
Every word in here is active and alive. What other book do you know of that can have relevance into your life today? Have you ever just picked up the Bible and started reading and God speaks to you? And brings that joy incomplete inside you and yet then we get busy and this neatly gets tucked away. And prayer gets forgotten. How can we find joy if we don't spend time with him? One of the things Corey said in the very end, she said, where there is no vision, the people will perish. And we all know that we live in a time now that there is great darkness and fog over the whole world. And the great joy is when we have the word of God. We can see things as it were from God's point of view. You know, this morning, we can look around at everything that the world is offering us, and we can, we can be distressed by it. Or we can look around, and we can look at our circumstances, and we can be depressed by it. Corey says, or you can look at Jesus, and you can be at rest. Jesus is the Lamb of God. That was proven in the Bible. We know who he is. So let me ask you something. If we know that in here, why don't we pursue it from here? This morning, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to take it seriously. Start spending more time in here and spend more time praying. And I can guarantee you that the circumstances of life won't get on top of you. And that the story of Easter that you've heard many times will become real to you. And that joy will start bubbling up because it can't help but do so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that you sent your son in such a powerful way to be sin for us, that we can have a relationship with you. Help us this morning to get to know you again, to spend time in your word, to spend time on our knees, to not put aside the one thing that gives us life and joy, to be replaced by the things in our life that make us busy. Father, I just thank you. I thank you so much that you love us and that you show through people's lives in the past how much you love them and that your love continues today and tomorrow. Lord, I just pray that we ourselves will love you as much as you love us. Now be with us today as we walk into our week, I pray, God. And God, may you walk beside us and in front of us. May we give our week to you. And God, may you give us areas in our lives that we can improve, but also where we can share this joy that we found in you to others. As Betsy and Corey shared in prison and people came to the knowledge of Jesus, Lord, may we do the same as we walk out these doors today. 
And Father, may you be glorified in all that we do. In thy precious and holy name, amen.